Welcome back to Mindfeed. You're here with me, Nora Casey. I'm joined now by someone who's been described as writing royalty. He's published tremendously in fiction, non-fiction, short stories. He's done children's books, as well as writing a number of plays and, of course, an autobiography. A landscape of literature accompanies his name, and indeed the same can be said of his mother, Edna O'Brien, and his father, novelist and playwright Ernst Gebler. You're very welcome to the show, Carlo Gebler. What are you up to at the moment? My... My father was a, a writer called Ernest Gabler. My mother was a writer called Edna O'Brien. They were married for a short period to each other. I am the product, along with my brother, of that marriage. My father and my mother separated. My father remarried or got involved with a, uh, his third wife, who was called Jane. He went. He left London, where we were living, moved back to Dublin. And in the last twilight years of his life, he started he realized something was happening to his brain. Alzheimer's was in fact setting in, and he tried to write his life story. And so every day he went to the desk and he made notes. But because of the Alzheimer's, his brain was not able to recall the fact that he was writing. I mean, a mem- he was trying to write a memoir and the faculties that you need in order to write a memoir, which is produced by remembering, were atrophying as he wrote. So he made a lot of factual notes, but he wasn't able to organize the material into a narrative. Eventually, those papers came to me. There are about 200,000, 150,000 words of stuff, quite quite chaotic, but accurate. I typed them up, and from that material, I have made a book. And Um, Carlo, just to to talk about that for a minute, your, your relationship with your father was close after he split up from Edna? No, not at all. Um, the reason, one of the reasons I'm, I'm, I embarked on this is that many years ago I was um, having a drink with Anthony Cronin, the writer, and he knew my father in the early 50s in Dublin. And he said to me, mm, yes, your dad was one of the most ambitious, if not the most ambitious writer in Dublin at that time. And I was extraordinarily surprised to hear this. Nobody had ever said anything like that to me. And I thought, well, if I read these chaotic autobiographical papers that he'd produced in the twilight years when the Alzheimer's was rolling in. Perhaps I would know that. So that was one of the things, there were other reasons as well, that got me to transcribe and um, immerse myself in all these papers. And when I immersed myself in the papers, I discovered that I would say 95% of the content was new to me. 95% of the things that he wrote about that had happened to him I had not known about until I read about them in his papers. Well, you sp- he split up from Edna when you were just you were you were only about ten at the time. Eight. You were eight, and you were born in Dublin, uh, Carlo, yeah. but you moved to London fairly quickly. So, you know, do you have early memories of your father from that time? Oh yes, absolutely. We um, I was born in '54. We lived out at Roundwood, and then we moved into Dublin to Garvel Avenue. But yes, I remember both the house in Roundwood and the house in Garvel Avenue very clearly. And I remember we moved, we moved to London on the 4th of November 1958. And um, it was a... Nobody had told me that we were leaving. And it was... I found it deeply traumatic because I left a familiar genteel, Edwardian, South Dublin world and woke up in a rather unruly not very friendly and rather melancholy English London suburb. And I'm certain that um, the, uh, 
the, 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 the well, trauma is perhaps too strong a word, but the, 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 the disequilibrium that was caused by that move um, is also involved in what I've been writing because I'm getting in touch with um, my Dublin roots. <laughs> it's a nice way of putting it. You paint a vivid picture of London. Yeah. But what was life like in the house, I suppose, with Ernst and, and Edna? What was their marriage like at the time? Um, from a child's point of view, it was... Uh, how would one put it? My father was a man who had a very... He was, he was absolutely committed to an extraordinarily rigorous and thorough program of control. And this program of control had all sorts of elements. Silence, lack of boisterous play, um, um, not speaking, not gabbling. All sorts of things were um, requirements. Also, you know, you couldn't watch television, couldn't play war games, but toys were very carefully um, controlled. And, and it, was, it was extraordinarily uh, oppressive. For a child, but also extraordinarily, um, well, it had a profound effect on the development of my psyche because my, my coping strategy was to was to was to bifurcate. I had myself, the self that was living, that was quite unhappy and troubled and fretful and anxious, and then I had a kind of then the superego or some part of the psyche was split away and, and monitored and looked at things with extraordinary, um, with, with, with Olympian detachment. It simply regarded this strange, controlled, fraught life um, as, as, as a spectacle that was going on mm. at a distance. And um, there's no question in my mind but that the business of writing is intimately connected with all of those things that happened in childhood because writing, I was always interested in words and making narratives. Clearly, this is to be expected. My parents were both writers who were interested in words and making narratives. And writing became a way of exercising and remains a way of exercising control in a world of, um, in a world where you, you, you don't have any autonomy. I, hadn't, I did not have autonomy as a child, and particularly when my mother left, I had even less autonomy. Did you leave with your mother? No, no. And, no. and your relationship with your mum? You mean then or now? Then, I suppose. Well, she was a, she was, um, you, you know, a sort of warm, enabling, facilitating, um, enthusiastic and liberal presence. She was not part of the program of control. She didn't mind. In, in fact, you know, she thought that childhood was something to be enjoyed. So, you know, watching television was not wrong. Um, boisterous play was not wrong. And obviously, that was she was the person my brother and I wanted to be with as children. But and Why didn't that happen? I mean, given the choice of the two parents. It did eventually. Um, it was 1962. She had nowhere to live. Um, she was obliged to leave the house. Um, she, was, she went to the station. When you say obliged to leave, is it? A no, I, th I think she had no alternative but to leave. Okay. Um, but she left, and then then my father said to her that 
then she took us the next day to stay with um, a man called John Osborne, and who was then living with Penelope Gilead. John Osborne looked back in anger, that man. And mm. after a few days, she brought us back to, to what had been the marital house because my father said he'd look after us and then she could find somewhere to live and then we could go and live with her. But then as soon as we had been returned, he broke his word and we didn't see her for a few years. That must have Two been years, very, I think. That must have been very difficult. This is, it was difficult. Uh, then we started, you know, we were, we, were, we, were, we shuttled. You know, we spent some time with him and some time with her and then eventually she obtained a divorce and got custody of us. But this is the 60s. It all took a long time. Right. It was complicated and, uh, I presume, extremely expensive. And when you look back at that time, you talked about writing being almost inside you from an early age because of those experiences. Do you feel more influenced by your father or your mother or they both equally? The latter. I am 60 this year. And one of the things that you realise as you get older is that you are, despite what you might wish, 50% your mother and 50% your father. And the effect of their parenting is, is absolute, permanent and total. I got different things from them, but the influences that my father, the things that he laid down in my unconscious when I was young, are just as, as powerful as those that were laid down by my mother. They're different. Do you feel, just as powerful. Do you feel a sort of catharsis when you write? Do you feel it's part of that psychology of getting rid of some of those experiences? Well, catharsis is connected with pity and fear. That's what the Greeks said. When you experienced pity and fear, when I don't know, you saw, um, you saw Oedipus blind himself because, mm. he, because of his relationship with his mother. Um, you experience catharsis, a purging. I don't experience a purging. I experience by writing something like um, a, a, a profound, deep um, sense of equilibrium, the establishment of order, the deployment and arrangement of language into a structure that communicates a narrative um, is um, balm to the soul. And Carla, you have children yourself, do you? Yes. And what's your, when you think about, you know, I was playing a clip earlier on of Edna talking about her own childhood and how, you know, she was introverted. Her mother found her quite hard to reach. It sounds like your childhood was quite troubled. So presumably your hopes and dreams for your own children are that they live in a different kind of life. Um, that's a very difficult question to answer. The thing you want for your own children is simply crassly that they are happy that's all that's all i want but for them to be happy they have to sing in their own voice they have to find whatever it is that is their special thing and it's very difficult to, in this world where there is limitless well i'm talking about the western world we have enormous choices and enormous freedoms and these choices and freedoms, though very wonderful, are also very bewildering because there's something hobbling about limitless choice. And for young people now to orientate themselves in the world is more difficult than, um, you know, when I was doing it 40 years ago. I also think that the world is a less, especially our world, is a less forgiving place. And there's less latitude. People take less chances. People extend a hand and give people 
you know, to help people up the ladder, much less willingly if, than, than, than used to be the case. You talked earlier about your mother and she wrote uh, Country Girl actually in, in 2012. How is your relationship now with her? younger I very much was you know enthralled to fine writing you know I loved Proust for instance but now that I've got older I've changed and the writers through particularly reading Samuel Johnson the what I admire is the ability to make your living pay your way by what you produce with your pen or your typewriter and she has done that she didn't inherit any money. She wasn't part of a literary dynasty or a family. You know, she wasn't a Bloomsbury, if you like. And what she did was entirely generated out of her unconscious. It sounds like you admire her rather than being close to her, perhaps. Oh, I am very close to her. But it, that's something which, that, that ability to make one's way, is something that would never have occurred to me when I was younger. When you, and were... you, you change, you, you, you see people differently and you see what they've done differently as you age. You become, in, in, in some ways, you become much more, um, you become more impersonal. You see, you see the sort of social um, and societal aspects of the life that someone has led. And Carla, you're very, you're very connected with Ireland again. You live near Enniskillen and, of course, you kind of grew up in London, as it were, and you're, Ireland wasn't too kind to your mother either in terms of the country girls in the first no. book. So do you, do you feel that connectedness or are you sometimes cross? <laughs> um, well, I've lived in Enniskillen since 1989. Um, I am... The great resource of this country is the people their kindness, their um, indefatigability, their charm, their respect for language, their respect for narrative. But our ruling elite, I despair. I mean, there is, there, there is something seriously wrong with um, the relationship between our masters, and that would include the civil service and the rest of us. But, I mean, they, I don't know. I, I feel very despondent about that. OK, I'm going to bring you back to a happier place. <laughs> Is it true that you played The Who, <laughs> Tommy by The Who, to Samuel Beckett? Yes, I did. I played, <laughs> played side one with, um, uh, you know, the Wicked Kevin, Uncle Kevin's, Wicked Uncle Kevin song, yes, and, and Pinball Wizard, yes. And he pronounced it. He, was, he used to come to our house to practice. We had a piano when he was working at the Royal Court in the early 70s. Uh, when he had plays on, and uh, he used to come and, you know, play Schubert and Schumann and that kind of material. And you got your and, own back. <laughs> well, he was playing some of that to me, or, or he said, what was I interested in? So I played him side one of Tommy, which, of course, is a two-record, it's a double album. So I played side one, album one, the whole thing, 22 minutes, and he pronounced it Wagnerian. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> thanks for joining us on the programme, Carla. You're welcome. Good luck.